but needing to go 100% virtual, it, then you found all these breaking in these models and organizations that said, hey, we've got two-factor, we've got all these things, but we assumed we were going to be in a secure physical environment. And, you know, the the entertainment industry is one that's like been quite a bit, quite notorious for like physical security to handle the media because it's just so critical that that like pre-release movies don't get leaked out and things like that. So they used a lot of physical security there. And then going all virtual and having a supply chain where you might have a one artist who their whole job is to do like the wisps of smoke on Game of Thrones. And so, but they get the whole movie and then they're just one person, one company. So, so uh, we had a lot of people sort of come back to sort of rediscover what um, John Kindervog and Paul Simmons at Jericho Forum and others were doing and talking about and saying, okay, we need to like contextualize this for now. And, and that was one of the bigger um, impacts. Welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of the SSE Forum. The SSE Forum brings together people like you, the IT practitioner, who are conquering the biggest challenges in networking and security. Together, the members of the forum share strategy, uncover requirements, and discuss best practices for enabling the modern workplace through security delivered at the network edge. To learn more about the SSE Forum, go to sseforum.com. IO. This podcast is sponsored by Access Security. Access Security secures the modern workplace. They make access to resources and applications impossibly simple and completely seamless. Take the Access 29 minute challenge. See how easy secure application delivery can be. Learn more at accesssecurity.com. And now, on to the podcast. Continuing our series on breaking down zero trust. John and Jay get educated. Jim Revis from the Cloud Security Alliance joins us for a discussion on how zero trust has changed IT and how you can get educated to apply this strategy to your organization. Enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our special edition of our podcast called The Edge. Um, today, we will be talking to Jim Rivas. Uh, welcome, Jim. Um, my first question, I guess, the same with all of these podcasts, is to ask you kind of, where did you start out in IT or security, and and, and how did that kind of career get you to where you are today? Jay, uh, happy to do that. Thanks for inviting me. I'm happy to be on the edge for some edgy conversation with you and John. Uh, so my my story, uh, I've always been interested in computer computers a tinker like back in the 70s when I was a kid and uh you know funny kind of looking back on it in like 1986-ish as I was uh in college getting my computer science degree actually that was like my first experience I wasn't called the internet exactly at that time I know it went through some different names I think it was NSF net but the university connected to a, a research a medical research center and you're able to download an application to the VAX VMS system that would allow you to backdate object code. 
And I didn't quite understand the implications until I saw it was used that uh, students would uh, uh, wait until the computer science professors posted the perfect source code for whatever project. And then they would go type that in, use that program they got from the internet, backdate their object code so it appeared like it got in on time, get perfect scores. And so sort of that, you know, internet can be evil was a very early thing. So, you know, gra graduated in 87 with my, my degree and pretty quickly got into uh, the PCs and, and was part of like selling computers and got into the internet working and as you started like building enterprise networks and systems and all those complexities the the really interesting new problem was uh, connecting to the internet and and how you would like you create this immediate security problem even with a pretty small like blast radius back then so you know 92 93 it was that was like the, those original firewalls and and playing around with that and I, i've just sort of always stuck in you know now we i guess we call it cybersecurity because you just had this really wonderful blend of the technology the science and the art and the, the, the motivations the art of war and all of these thoughtful adversaries and so it was pretty easy for me to just see this as a career and so been doing it for you know 30 plus years as what i would call the information security and have enjoyed it quite a bit so it was quite interesting because when I was at university and, and no doubt when John was there as well, we had like Janet and I forget what it stands for. Um, but that was and then Janet kind of became the World Wide Web. And I, I remember using um, that to download versions of Doom and Quake so that I could play them on the corporate network. And we, we almost everyone we've spoken to as part of this series at some point have said they've played those games and that those games had kind of an effect on networking and cloud and all of that. Was that something you yeah, ever Oh, ab absolutely. Um, you know, Doom and, and things like that. And, and boy, uh, you know, the, the early bulletin board systems and things and just like that, that internetworking, sharing like cheat codes or sharing, you know, different ways of unlocking stuff. It was pretty interesting. I was, I was a young dad, so I had to sort of, you know, um, I had, had some inability to not get out on the extreme, but yeah, just the, the curiosity of, of that. And, and I've always felt like gaming is going to play a bigger and bigger role. And I think it kind of has in, in our industry. We're on the sort of precipice of it being a much bigger part of cybersecurity. Yeah, and I know we slightly digressed, but actually, I think it was Chase that mentioned that some of the kids nowadays are already using MFA to log into games. So it's something that's already prevalent in, in, in the younger generation, um, which is, I think, is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to like my son like you know, a while ago and like he would put all his information out there and not care apparently and he like he understood my industry and said it's a risk-based decision i have no money you'll bail me, bail me out if i get in any trouble but as he's gotten older and he has more assets there it just immediately like changed to a very secure approach to this so it is i think the younger generation it's actually a lot of the security problems we have in our legacy and the younger generation is going to save us from that i think so so i noticed i stalked you earlier on on linkedin i noticed that you had a couple of advisory kind of board member roles is that what kind of led 
led on to the CSA? Because I noticed you were a consultant for a while as well. Yeah, I did consulting for a long time. Um, I did a, a, a dot-com startup called Security Portal in 98 and sold it in 99. If I would have waited another six months, I could have gotten 10X. If I would have waited another 12 months, I would have gotten nothing. But um, it kind of made me like really love entrepreneurial stuff. So what I learned from that, I tried to do more sort of advisory help. Then the other pivot I had is I got asked to join the ISSA on their board, the Information Systems Security Association, and it ended up running it. And it was sort of that combination of like being an entrepreneur, being an advisor, but also the nonprofit, understanding the power of the community in, in cybersecurity and people sharing, because you could you could make the case that a lot of cybersecurity is like the original private fire departments that at least that was what was real popular in the colonies in, in the United States before it became the United States. And, you know, you watch the building next door burn to the ground because that wasn't part of your private fire department's venue. And, and there's a greater good aspect in us sort of sharing and trying to create the this higher baseline of security everywhere. And so it was some of that philosophy, learning that through the ISSA, and then just seeing how ISACs and other sorts of things like that operate that, oh, okay, yeah, this, this idea of coopetition of, yeah, we got to compete really hard because that's how we're going to make the security technologies better. But at the same time, we have to cooperate across all of those different barriers and boundaries to actually make, make our, our, our opponents like stronger as well because we we want to compete we want to win for the right reasons and and no one should be happy when their competitor gets hacked so um so that that was those two things together kind of got me to say hey when there's when i identify a new trend that could use this sort of holistic all of industry all of community approach i'm going to go dive in there and that was sort of when i saw okay cloud's going to be a big thing let's start building the best practices now. And so that was like the 2008, 2009 timeframe that I started like thinking about that and putting the plan into place. 2008, I mean, that's kind of the early days of the cloud. Um, what were sort of the trends that you saw coalescing around uh, this, um, this change in technology, uh, you know, revolutionizing our space? What were some of the early signs that you saw that, you know, cloud was going to be the thing? So the you started to see like how quickly someone could take an idea and i was thinking more like proof of concept initially but like hey is this a good idea well i can't get 100 computers like immediately but i can use this cloud thing and do that and at the same time more similar time frame there was i think a harvard business review like article that was about how IT is going to move in this direction. And they, they, it was a really nice article that was drawing the parallel to the electrification of America and how in the early industrial age or somewhere in that in the 1800s, every big company manufacturing had a vice president of electricity because you had to create your own electricity. And then when we got the grid and the electrification of America worked and you centralized power sources and it was plugging in, that really changed manufacturing quite a bit. And, and the parallel with where we were with IT, everything is stuff that you buy and configure and install. It just was 
duh, this is going to be like, this is, you know, cloud. I was thinking you would, I was thinking it'd almost be overnight that people would like jettison. And obviously I was, I was, uh, you know, a, a little bit uh, Pollyanna-ish about that and, and the long tail of legacy technology, but just seems so obvious that, hey, using something as a service, using something on demand, um, yeah, like you turn on the lights, that's how we need to be doing compute. And so I, I, I just quit all the consulting I was doing and just really focused on like launching this. What you mentioned before about kind of everyone needing to be linked up and, and do things together. I, I That's kind of came around full circle in my mind because there's a lot of supply chain attacks that happen now. And, and it always used to, or at least we went through a phase of if my firewall is stronger than your firewall, I'm okay, you're the weakest link. And that, I think, worked for a period of time. But now there's so much interconnectivity between systems and within businesses that actually I think it does make sense to help each other and for there to be things like the CSA that talk about problems that we all need to fix because you get compromised at your weakest point. And if the weakest point is up in the supply chain or down in the supply chain, you have problems. And I mean, we, we've seen that before. We, we've seen these things happen over the last couple of years where a potential area of the supply chain has been attacked and and it's and it comes in it, it, it kind of because you trust those people at that point um so for me that's more imperative and that's kind of one of the reasons why we're having these type of conversations is to try and educate people um but i, I guess how do you think the csa has changed from kind of its original kind of idea to where it is today did, did the pandemic have any effect or do you still think it was the same kind of concept yeah we've we've stayed like to a pretty consistent sort of model of like wide open community crowdsourcing of research making all the research research free sort of believing that any one individual regardless of their affiliation might have the right ideas um, but, uh, you know, the training and, and having also corporate membership, having events, all of that, that's been really consistent. And we've tried to apply it and stay as leading edge as we can on, on new trends. We're, the, the pandemic, the work from home, it, it absolutely was a, a catalyst for us getting um, more focused on zero trust, for example, because you just saw so many organizations with great security models, architectures, implementations, just on this um, this belief, this foundational belief that the way they're running things are gonna be the way they're gonna able to run things. And, and the ones that didn't design themselves to go 100% virtual, most, most companies design themselves to go like 10 to 20% virtual at any given time. And, but needing to go 100% virtual, it, then you found all these breaking in these models and organizations that said, hey, we've got two-factor, we've got all these things, but we assumed we were going to be in a secure physical environment. And, you know, the, the entertainment industry is one that's like been quite a bit, quite notorious for like physical security to handle the media because it's just so critical that that like pre-release movies don't get leaked out and things like that. So they used a lot of physical security there. And then going all virtual and having a supply chain where you might have a one artist who their whole job 
is to do like the wisps of smoke on Game of Thrones. And so, but they get the whole movie and then they're just one person, one company. So, so uh, we had a lot of people sort of come back to sort of rediscover what um, John Kindervog and Paul Simmons at Jericho Forum and others were doing and talking about and saying, okay, we need to like contextualize this for now. And, and that was one of the bigger um, impacts, but yeah, for us, we grew throughout the pandemic. This was this was accelerating the need for cloud, doing it right, putting more corporate jewels uh, in the cloud. That's just that that's just the, the trajectory we're on. Yeah, I have to admit. I mean, I was I've only transitioned over into more of salesy type role um, over the last four months, and I think the pandemic had an effect on me. Um, I've worked in IT at corporate side 25 plus years, and I've, I guess I've always wanted to help people and I always wanted things to be done in a particular way. And luckily enough, I worked for companies where we could be the forerunner of technology. So we, we did happen to, to be in a good shape, but I wanted to go out and help other people do it. I wanted to, and, and I mean, I, I took the exam through the CSA during the pandemic, I went out and studied some other, I kind of looked at zero trust and there was some confusion out there and people budget different things. And 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 even I called it, uh, I think I called it a, a, a strategy um, when, I, when I spoke to John and he called me out on it. Um, and it was very interesting for me to do that. And it was only at that point during the pandemic. I, I And to be honest, I think, I love being around people. I've spent all my IT career pretty much working at home, but spending time in offices and, and being with people, I'm a very much a social person. So I think if the pandemic ha had not have come along, I'd have really struggled breaking the bonds with people in offices. But because I was stuck at home, those bonds kind of got broken, which allowed me to, I think, finish off and take the leap of faith and, and end up where I am today. Um, so I saw a massive change in in businesses, not as much I think in the in the UK as maybe you've seen in the US, um, but I certainly saw people moving, and there were a lot of virtual events going on during the pandemic because we couldn't get face to face, and a lot of those virtual events were around cyber zero trust, and obviously we saw ransomware go crazy as well during that period. So I'm I'm not surprised that that was a time when you got really really busy. Um, John, I was thinking, I know that you kind of progressed during the pandemic and, and kind of jumped ship as well. I'd be interested in, in your feelings around that. Yeah, for me, it was a much different decision. I mean, it, it was a family uh, decision for us with, uh, you know, my I was working as an infrastructure leader, uh, helping my company prepare for uh, remote work. And my wife, similarly in HR, she was doing COVID response. So the hours uh, that we were both invested in and then our two young kids at home uh, that, you know, that was really the impetus for us to, to make that change and for me to walk away. Uh, and then, um, but to your point, I, the more and more I think about it, uh, this period has almost been like the big reset or uh, the big rethink about how we're going to live our lives. Um, are we going to continue down the path that was set in 2019 with folks working in an office uh, and, and that being their, their work life? Or are we headed down now a path of hybrid where 
folks are not only in the office at some times, and it, it maybe the, the campus becomes more like a work club, uh, like you would go to and go work out. And then um, a lot of your other work is done remotely, and, and that could be at the home or wherever it may be. Uh, I think that's more likely the hybrid model is the is the path and, and people have kind of decided that uh, work-life balance does matter uh, the ability to work remotely also opens you up from not even you know not having to be in a region uh, i'm in portland but i certainly work for a company that's you know based out of uh, san jose and um, honestly it's a company that's based all across the world i mean jay and i interact often Jay lives in the UK. Um, the product team we work with lives in Israel. The sales team we work with lives all over the world. Uh, and I think that's the model going forward. So, um, but that does open up some questions around security. If, if all your, your workforce is not maintained behind a castle and a moat, um, security becomes very paramount because you have to factor that in across the board. You know, to your point, Jim, around uh, movies, you know, the guy that creates the smoke on the screen, he has the ability to have that entire movie or that entire TV show. And maybe that's the linchpin episode that has value. And, and folks are going to go out there and, and the bad actors are going to be asking, hey, how can we get a hold of that? Um, so you now got to put mechanisms in, in place. And that speaks to this, this term of zero trust. Um, people are still trying to understand what it is and the industry has not helped in terms of marketing, um, but the concepts are pretty clean and, and, and clear if you, if you do the research and you have the access to uh, the materials that are available out there. And um, I kind of, Jim, if you could kind of talk to a little bit about the, the program around Zero Trust and, and what the CSA is trying to do to kind of dispel a lot of the, the myths around it. Yeah, for, for sure. And so we, we started to get a lot of uh, feedback or input from a lot of the enterprises that, that need to use all this great technology that cloud providers are, are making and that cybersecurity companies help them secure. How do, how do we use all of that? And and that was pretty common that, that hey, we don't really understand what zero trust is. And, and when we talked to them more, we found out it was maybe a little less than the, of, hey, we don't know what it is, uh, but we don't really understand how that really manifests itself practically and how do, how do we what should we be doing? What should we be thinking about? How should we communicate that to the board and the business perspective? When we talk about architectures, you know, how how far do we go there? When we talk about um, the the strategies, where do we um, actually, you know, how far do we step back to do those sorts of things? And so, and I actually, as I was thinking about this, I actually got to more of that that world of hey, we really need to think of zero trust as a philosophy instead of guiding principles that inform strategy. So, I mean, I would agree, Jay, with how you were um, saying you characterize it there. And um, so what we wanted to do is to say, okay, um, there's a big world out there. There's a lot of people talking about this. There's a lot of confusion. So let's do a few different things. Let's provide like some education Let's create a resource center that provides some curation of all of the resources that are out there. Let's 
let's understand where we might take this and let's create a professional certification around this very similar Jay, to what you had taken, but a certificate of zero trust knowledge, which we have underway. Let's, let's find research where we, where there are gaps in understanding knowledge. But if we do sort of take this idea that it's, it's a philosophy, a set of guiding principles that informs a strategy that, what this should be able to do is arm people with an ability to make a difference and and put in this zero trust or least privileged um, uh, implementation within their organizations and be able to carry that forward to technologies that aren't even invented yet or maybe they're invented but they're not widely commercialized but that's sort of that's the design goal for this for for what we want to do and you know for a lot of good reasons zero trust came out of more of a very net, network centric and and network still is a, it's a huge part of this i mean the internet a network and you know when we talked about the whole castle and moat you know it was really we're talking about how information gets to one place to another and that the information isn't stored in one spot so the transmission is still very important and critical about this but you know we, we could recognize, hey, it's the people, you know, that the people are going to be very important to this too. The devices are going to be very important. Identity is very important. So many different things. So, so the idea is let's, let's teach people how to think about zero trust, knowing that the technology is going to change quite a bit. And we can, through curation, we can capture what your organization, other organizations are innovating in to do and say, hey, here's the best available technology at this point in time and implement that into your roadmap and strategy. But it's got to be it's got to be holistic. So that's that's the path we're headed down. And it's, it's taken us um, you know, a few months to get organized, but we did a really good survey to kind of understand the pain points from the CISO level and kind of how they're thinking about it. We've gotten several people recruited, Coalition of the Willing, John Kindervog, who you mentioned and who's who's involved, who you've interviewed. He's on, on board and helping us out with this. Paul Simmons, who mentioned one of the founders at Jericho Forum, he's also a contributor. So, so, and there's hundreds more. So, so we're really excited over the next year or so over producing a bunch of white papers pointing people to things that are already out there, um, creating the examination. And then who knows, we're thinking maybe we'll look at give, giving people tools to just look at an organization and measuring and benchmarking and how they adhere to zero trust principles, how we can take some of the maturity model things and, and help people understand how do we do make good progression? How can we get like certification bodies and auditors involved and understanding those sorts of sorts of things. So pretty big ambitions around this. But when we looked at it, we, you know, we always sort of look at the different technology trends and other things that we need to work on. This to us really feels like if you really take this to its its log logical conclusion, we have great opportunities to sort of reinvent and rework large parts of our technology ecosystem, including the internet itself along these principles over the next several years. And so it's really something that we should think of as something that's that we're, we're going to be working on for, for quite a while. Yeah, two, two comments around that. And Jay and I have talked a lot about this as, you know, on our journey here with Zero Trust. Um, we, we look at it as 
we're almost in a sense writing the sins of our past because we we both built out global networks um, based on unfettered access once you're behind the firewall. And um, you know, we made the job of somebody who most likely got into our one of our networks or both of them uh, rather easy because once you're in, you're there and you're, you're, you're there for a very long time. And I think detection these days is somewhere upwards of 250 days before you detect somebody within your network. So that's a lot of time to hunt around and, and find the crown jewels, the things that are important to a business. Um, my second question was, uh, or comment, and, and it's probably a question as well, is the business imperative for zero trust? Uh, when we interviewed Paul Simmons, and I was very surprised coming out of that conversation, uh, just how much we talked about the need for uh, changing the way that folks are doing security, uh, because applications now are, you know, distributed all around the world. Data is resident in every nook and cranny of the internet. Um, in order to bring all those things together, there has to be a mechanism, a strategy associated with that, uh, and businesses benefit from doing that, uh, you know, the, the, the thought of maybe the API uh, business that you really don't own anything, uh, but uh, you're pulling together, you know, Salesforce for, um, you know, reaching out to your customers, a uh, email system based on exchange and so on and so forth, um, where you don't have a data center, you, you just have connectivity and your employees are remote. There's no campus. Um, in order to make that happen, you, you need a, technology or a strategy to secure all of that. And, and zero trust makes a sense. So I'm curious to, to know if the CSA is doing anything or has had any consideration around how do we train business leaders, not just folks in IT or folks in security practices, but actual CIOs, uh, you know, uh, a, a VP of sales in what zero trust is, what it isn't, and how it can help your business. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a key like pillar of what we are working on. So we have a, a group called CXO Trust, which is basically bringing together C levels. Which you know, in our our uh, niche, obviously CISOs are key and, and central to that. But actually, to get CIOs, CFOs, CTOs, CEOs, and and boards of directors also on board for any myriad of cybersecurity needs and strategies and, and governance issues and communications and metrics and all these different pieces. And so the, the uh, specific education around this for the C-level, um, um, zero trust for the C-level is part of what we're building. And, and the first part of it was to actually understand where people's pain points are, what they think this will do for them, what they're trying to do. But we did find out is actually, uh, I don't know if it's an outlier because of the community we went to, but we've, we were surprised to see that the top two champions of zero trust within the survey we did was one, the CTO, number two was the CFO, and third was the CISO. And so, there's there's definitely more work to do, and now we got to provide them a lot of the tools. But that's that's really important. Anything like this that's technology agnostic is we we've got to go take that approach and and totally like agree with what you said. It's the you know the sort of the sins of the past and how we we move fast by let's just get the technology working 
is that's part of like this education we need to do on the high level of business for them to understand that there's there's a whole world now making with dedicated to making things not work. And so we cannot have that level of trust um, implicitly. And if you understand that, you're gonna make your business go better. If you come to that, that sort of baseline of everybody's out to get you at some point. And so if we build this with that, that, that knowledge, then you know we're gonna be able to uh, you know, be much better. But that's, that's a key point. We're not gonna go anywhere if we are just um, focused on how do we use the technology prevalent today? How do we harden it? And how do we look at employ those technologies to you know, secure other things? We're, we're just not going to, to get there if we don't have that, that philosophy and we don't get it like embedded into business and, and maybe even into you know, some, some regulatory rules on, on being able to measure like your zero trust, you know, competency with an organization. Yeah. That would be interesting if uh, we come out with some sort of regulation to, you know, companies and board members have to be upholding a certain level of, you know, this is how hard, how high you need to be to, in order to be successful. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right around, um, you know, the, the technology we have today. I, I, equate it to that you're moving from the propeller age to the jet age. And that's where we're at in terms of security. And, and in fact, security, we might even be in the horse age uh, in some respects uh, and, and some of the changes we need to make. I, I've got a question. So, I mean, I, to, to be fair, I could pick out so many things from the things that were just said, but I think the key things for me are acknowledging that this isn't just a technology problem that this is a people problem as well and there's some education that needs to be done across all levels of businesses and and maybe even starting at kind of children's age so that when they get to working in businesses people are already prepared for for cyber because I, I i think that's quite important i think the other thing is it is now time to change i mean i think the pandemic came along there's more homework and or hybrid work and or flexible work and or whatever you want to whatever whatever you want to call it and I think that means that we can change because I think people are more likely to be able to take that change on board and and accept that change whereas I think in the past they wouldn't have but if they feel and see that it's something that is going to help them across all levels of businesses then I think I think that's something that we could probably make happen now whereas i think maybe we wouldn't have before too many people are kind of ingrained in this doing the way we did things but i guess the most important thing that i picked out of what you've said is having a single place you are going to be the things the single place where people can go and potentially get help get qualified get educated like i said before I, i spent probably almost all the pandemic in time before the pandemic trying to understand more about zero trust and you had sassy and sse and all of these things came along and just confused everything and and i've been in it a long time i mean i I don't class myself as somebody that picks up technology particularly slowly or concepts slowly i've spent pretty much my whole it career learning and relearning and learning new things and i found it difficult to understand because there were so many vendors and different bits of marketing in different areas to go so i mean to say i'm over the moon that, that there'll be somewhere where people can 
can go to, to find that information. And actually, normally one of the questions I ask on these podcasts is, where would you recommend people start? And I'm assuming your answer is going to be with our website. But if it's different than that, um, feel free to elaborate. Well, uh, we're we're definitely working towards uh, you know living up to sort of the vision we sent out with the Zero Trust Advancement Center. We're, we're working really hard, and and really we're we're hurting hurting the cats of the community and. And not to say you're both felines, but I mean, we're counting on people like yourselves to like help, like find the resources. It's that be that force multiplier so that we can actually have that right curation there. So, yeah, I mean, come to our site to see the progress we're making. Uh, to be honest, I would say that, you know, there's so much that is like pretty interesting that um, CISA and out of the Department of Homeland Security in the U.S. that they've gotten some good traction, and that's been a private-public partnership. That's a, a lot of what they do. We're going to do curation of, make it where we need to um, sanitize it somewhat for for global usage and for other environments. And you know, we the the NIST definition the 800-207 I think it's not perfect but it's like pretty good and so some of those things are are great and and um certainly just a lot of some of the historical things that uh, John Kindervog had done and Paul Simmons and some others those are those are great things that's all getting um sort of accumulated and and pointed that was actually you know my my 1998 startup was called security portal it was google didn't exist yet at least in anybody's um noticeably but it was the idea let's be sort of that yahoo of security and let's have that sort of um indexing of all those important areas and so that's an important part of it so we'll create what needs to be created and we'll curate what is already out there that's really good and that's that's kind of what the zero trust advancement center is going to be at our website okay that's really interested and and i'm in in we don't really want to take up too much more of your time we really do appreciate that you are available to do this for us and we really think what you're doing at the csa at least i i believe john's in agreement with me that we think it's it's good i've been to some of your events i know we've done talks with you before I'd like to continue to keep this relationship open. Um, it's certainly been been useful this conversation. And John, I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to add. No, I you know it, I think it's imperative on folks to learn about this technology, have a resource for it that is non um, vendor related. And, and and you know I, I mentioned earlier that uh, vendors out there have not done a really good job with zero trust and and made it into a point where it's almost a trigger word in some sense when you when you talk to folks and it shouldn't be that way it it, it really is uh, i think we mentioned it it is a path forward to to right the wrongs of the past and uh lay the ground for the future you know the next 5 to 10 years as uh, we continue down this journey of um cloud and and everything that brings with it so um, really looking forward to uh, working more with CSA and, and uh, um, making those materials available for, for people out there getting started in this industry and, and folks like us, Jay, that uh, have been in the industry for a long time. Well, we're super optimistic about what the next few years can bring. And, you know, I know that it was a conscious decision when they started writing the RFCs for the Internet that they purposely left out security. It was it was a mindful decision. 
Um, but, you know, the reality is now we have technology that's advanced to a point that with automation and orchestration and everything we have out there, I think it's really possible that, you know, maybe it wasn't bad that we are really starting on this journey now because I think we've got all the pieces are in place. We just got to go execute all of us together. And so it is one of those things that every part of the cybersecurity ecosystem, it's got to be a player in this. And so hopefully we can we can provide some leadership there. We definitely need leadership from a lot of different groups, but um, we're hoping to do that and make a difference. Awesome. Jim, thanks for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. This podcast is a production of the SSC Forum. Editing and post-production is provided by John Spiegel. Sound engineering is expertly conducted by Chris Danby. Food recommendations? Solely the territory of Jay Tilson. Thanks for listening and give us a follow on LinkedIn as well as on Twitter. <laughs>